Good morning. So as we start this morning, a couple things I wanted to share with you. Number one, in your online sermon notes today, I think it's also printed in your program, there's a little link to uh, something that's called an Advent devotional. Uh, we are part of a denomination or a faith tradition called the Evangelical Covenant Church, and that we're, we partner together to put out some uh, Advent materials for this season starting today. So it is online. You can feel free to read that each morning or whenever you have your time with God each day. Hopefully it will bless you uh, this Christmas season. Also, you'll notice that here on, on my, to my right, your left, there's a little Christmas setup. There's also a sign over here that would be used for this tree. What we've decided to do over the Advent season, so oftentimes around Christmas Eve, people will gather around the tree and will have pictures taken with their families to kind of a memory of meeting God at, at Grace. What we want to do is give you opportunity throughout this month to do that, and not only to take those photos, but maybe to post them on Facebook or Instagram. There's some signs that kind of will let people know as you're posting those when our Christmas Eve services will be here at Grace. We'd love to have you help us in spreading the word throughout Or Valley and Tucson about uh, our Christmas Eve services at 5 and 7 on the 24th. <clears throat> well, as we start a brand new series today called God Came Near, I thought I'd start by sharing with you a story of a Thai woman that, from this past summer. Uh, there's this lady in Thailand, a young woman who was getting married. Her family was fairly well off, and she was so excited that she was getting married. She wanted to have a storybook wedding. And so she, her family put a ton of resources into the wedding ceremony itself. They actually put up billboards all over Thai, uh, the city they were living in in Thailand, encouraging people to watch on Facebook because if they couldn't get into the actual ceremony itself, they could actually watch it as it was streamed on Facebook. And this whole Facebook uh, wedding thing went viral when as the time came for the husband to walk forward uh, during the ceremony, there was no husband to be found. And he had actually stood her up for another woman. Now, in this culture, you know, in the Asian culture, you know, shame is a big thing. And they were really concerned, what are we going to do now? And the whole world's watching, they thought. So they decided to go to the, the groom's uncle, who was actually there, didn't know what his nephew was doing. And actually went to the uncle and said, hey, you look a lot like your nephew. Would you just kind of stand in for him right now, just so that we can get through this and kind of save face? And he looked at them and said, well, if you pay me one million baht, which is like $40,000, I'll do it. So finally, the bride in her wedding dress stands up in front of the world and says, I'm sorry, the wedding's off. Now, this video has been seen over six million times on Facebook since this summer. I don't know if you've heard about this story. And the, the comments on, on the, to attach that video post are just unreal from all over the world. People, you know, uh, trying to encourage her and trying to um, make her feel better about what all had happened. But I say all that to say this. There are few gifts in life that are more meaningful and more incredible than the gift of love. And there are few things that are more painful than when love is rejected. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. There are few things that you can think of in this life that is more meaningful long-term than love and that experience of love, but there are a few things that are more painful than when that love is rejected. I've told some of you this story uh, in a message years ago. Um, there was a time when I was a young man in college, and uh, I was just in, head over heels in love. At least I thought I was. I had been several times before, but this one was different, right? This one I was starting to be convinced was the one. So after you know, dating this lady for, for many months and we having you know, constantly together all the time, sharing the deepest parts of our lives, I finally just told myself, what am I waiting for? I, I'm sure this is the one. So I went out and I bought an engagement ring and I got down on one knee and I popped the question, 
And I waited for her response, and her response was, well, I don't know. I need some time to think about it. Not the right response in that moment, right? A few days later, she came back, she gave me the engagement ring, and the relationship was suddenly over. And I was stunned. I'm like, what just happened? I mean, we've, we've been building on this relationship for so long. We've, we've talked about being married. We've talked about all these things. Why was this, it would come to find out, is this fear of commitment just caused her to just pull back? And just, she did not feel like she could enter into a relationship like that. A few years later, she actually ended up marrying my cousin, of all people. <laughs> and then ended up getting a divorce a few years later. But at that time, as, as she gave me that news, I was crushed. And I thought, my life is over now. I might as well be done. There's no point of moving on. There's no point of living anymore. Because that pain of rejection was so intense in that moment. But I now can look back on that moment, and I can see that as divine intervention. I had no idea back in those days when I was in my early 20s that God would move me halfway across the country, plant me in Arizona, send me into the ministry, and bring me my wonderful family, including my wife from, from Peru, uh, for us to live the rest of our lives together. You know, every one of us loves a good love story, especially when it works out. But sometimes it doesn't, right? Love is risky. No one, no one wants to be rejected by the one they love, yet to love is to be vulnerable, Right? There's a famous playwright that lived before my generation. Some of you who are older might be familiar with him. His name was Tennessee Williams. And he once said something that I've always thought was pretty good. He said, all my life, I have been haunted by the obsession that to desire a thing or to love a thing intensely is to place yourself in a vulnerable position to be a possible, if not a probable loser of what you most want. That's kind of true, isn't it? And you know... No one knows those feelings better than God. God loved humanity. He loved us from the beginning. And even though we rejected him, he has never stopped pursuing us. He's never stopped loving us. This year, as we enter into another Advent season, some people, they celebrate Christmas by only celebrating Christmas Day. And it's all about the gifts and the parties For us as followers of Jesus, we see the Christmas season as bigger than a day. We see it as a season that begins today when we remember and we think about the coming of the Messiah. We think about this greatest love story that's ever been told where God came to earth as a man to basically show us the way back to him and into a relationship of love with him. We know about the manger and the swaddling clothes and the shepherds and the wise men, but seldom do we ever hear the whole story. Over the Christmas season. We know about what happens in the Gospels. But we don't know about this love story. That had been culminating for centuries before that. Between God our creator. And us. As his creation. So this year I want to take a little bit of a different uh, twist. To the holiday season. Rather than us just looking at the Christmas story. I want us to start at the very beginning. I want us to see this book. It's more than just. a, a, A collection of stories. That was written centuries ago to tell us about who God is. I want us to come to understand this as God's love letter, a love story that he has transmitted to us so that we can know his heart. And that love story actually starts on the very first page of this book. 
in Genesis chapter 1. So I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the very first page of the book. This is one of those few Sundays where I would say, you know, although we have the scriptures at MyGrace.Church on your web browser, if you actually have a, a, a physical Bible, you know, with, with paper and ink, it might actually even be better this morning. Because we're going to be flipping through a, a, a several places in the book of Genesis. I want you to see the progression of this story. And so that will be helpful for you this morning. But we, again, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. What we're going to see today is the story of a jilted lover who pursued his uh, love over and over, sparing no expense to woo over his bride, even though he was rejected not once, but multiple times. It's the greatest story ever told, and one that we're going to call over this holiday season, God Came Near. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is one sentence that is loaded with meaning, if you think about it. Several things that we see in that. Number one, we find out that there was a beginning to all of this. Everything that we know, everything that we are experiencing even right now, everybody that you're seeing here, every, everything had a beginning. Everything had a creation except one thing, as we see in Genesis 1.1, and that is God. God never had a beginning, and he never will have an end. But everything else did. It also teaches us... Um, something that as we start to read this story which I just don't seem to I can't seem to get my head around we see this as we start reading beyond verse 1 further into chapter 1 and that's this for some reason in the midst of the vastness of this universe God created this one little small solar system with this tiny seemingly insignificant little rock ball in it and on that rock ball the greatest drama ever known in the universe would be played out. As God placed his crown jewel, his, his most beautiful creation, man and woman, to manage this rock ball for him. And you know what's even crazier about this story as we start to get into it? God's crazy idea in the very beginning, and that was this, that he would create a people who would want to be in relationship with him. To receive his love and to hopefully give love back to him in return. Look at Genesis 1, flip down to verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. Let me pause there for a moment. Did you notice what just happened between verse 26 and 27, by the way? Notice the pronouns there. In verse 26, let us make man in our image. And then verse 27, so God created human beings in his image. This is the very beginning place where we start to see the mystery of the Trinity. How God is a community in and of himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a, something that we'll never fully understand on this side of heaven. But this is already starting to lay out this picture about how God is a God who lives in community. And how God wanted to have a community to love. Anyway, so verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So after creating all of this amazing earth, we actually see in verse 21 of this chapter that God's like, yeah, it's okay. It's good. Think about that statement. I mean, think about all that God had created in the beginning of Genesis. How God had created the universe. I mean, I I recently, uh, just a few days ago, started uh, Googling online, just pulling up pictures of the universe. I've loved, I've always loved looking at photos from the Hubble Space Telescope. But there are so many photos that I was looking at that just made, I just, I couldn't imagine. How in the world did God create all of this and be like, eh, it's okay. It's good. That was God's response to that. But then, this is Genesis says, then God reached down into that little seemingly insignificant rock ball. He grabs some dirt and he forms it and to look like himself, into the image of himself. He gives this, this thing he's creating, intelligence. He gives it the ability to reproduce in his same likeness, which is amazing in itself, so, that it can, so this created thing can fill the earth. He calls it humans. And when he is done with that creation, he's in love. He, said, he doesn't say, that's good, like he says with everything else. He said, that's very good. God was in love. I mean, have any of you taken the time recently at night to just go outside and look up at the heavens and see what God has created? I mean, it just blows my mind when I read Genesis and God is saying, eh, yeah, it's all right. But, but this, these humans, <laughs> he's fascinated by us. God wanted beings to be in relationship with, to receive his love as well as to give love back in return. And he would come to call us, each one of us, his beloved. So God created this beautiful universe. He created this beautiful garden for the first humans to live in, to enjoy his blessings that he would pour out upon them. He even says in Genesis that that God himself walked in that garden, on that rock ball, with his creation, to be in relationship with them, to be as close to them as conceivably possible. It all seems too perfect, doesn't it? But then as we keep reading the story, we find out there's a catch, right? There's always a catch. The catch is that God knew that love was not truly love unless there was a choice involved, a choice to not love, right? Obedience isn't obedience unless there's the opportunity to be disobedient, right? So in the midst of this perfect environment, God's crazy idea is so that he can see, do they truly love me? Is he plants a tree in the middle of the garden. He calls it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? We'll figure that out one day later. I don't know why, Uh, but we don't have the full picture. But we know that God put this tree there. He put this object in the middle of the garden to give these two created beings a choice. And so he says to Adam and Eve, eat anything you want. Enjoy the blessing I'm giving you. Just don't do one thing. Just don't eat of that tree. Anything else you want to do, fine, don't worry. My blessing, just don't do that. Because God wanted to see 
will they still choose to love me even when I give them the option? Will they still choose to be obedient and, and respond to lo- loving me through obedience if I give them the option? Now, God even makes it clear to them. He says, you know what, guys? You don't want that option, right? He even tells them, he says, if you eat of that tree, what happens? You'll die, right? You, bad option, guys. Don't eat that, right? It was a huge risk on God's part. But God saw that it was necessary for true love. Sadly, it wasn't long before Adam and Eve screwed up that deal, right? They were tricked into thinking better, that they would live better if they lived like God rather than living for God and with God. And the results of that one decision have been disastrous. Every single day of your life, the suffering that you endure was because of that one decision. The world and the brokenness in our world today, as we look at the news, as we see so many things around us that are so dysfunctional, so off, we come to realize from this story that it started with that one bad decision, that decision to reject God's love. As a result of this, Adam and Eve forfeited, forfeited their, home, their perfect home in the garden. They forfeited this intimate relationship with God that we've never even come close to having since. They suffered spiritual death. And along with that, they would soon suffer a loss of their physical existence as well on earth. Now, as this story progresses, here's what we find. I'm going to speed up a little bit. Chapter 6, we see... That as time has gone on, the earth has digressed more and more. Fewer and fewer people even care about God. In fact, by the time we get to Genesis 6, what we see are some pretty painful words. It says, we see that everyone on the earth, except for Noah and his family, had rejected God. I mean, imagine that. Everybody on the planet had rejected God. And listen to these words in Genesis 6. This This always gets me. God puts in his word that he was sad that he had made us. And his heart was filled with pain. The God of the universe was filled with pain. Why? Because his prized creation had rejected him over and over again. I mean, think about those words for a minute. So God says, you know what? I'll just start over. Maybe, Maybe if I just kind of push the reset button on this whole experiment, maybe if I just take Noah and his family... Maybe I can make something of that. And so he tells Noah, build this really big honking boat, and I'm going to put you on it. And maybe I sometimes wonder, maybe God was thinking, maybe somebody else will see the boat and will be willing to get on the boat as well. But they don't. Finally, God shuts the doors on that ark, and Noah's family is saved, but everyone else is wiped out. And God gives the world a second chance. What happens? Does it work? No. No. By the time we get to chapter 9, what we find out is as soon as Noah gets off the boat and he goes back to work, he plants a vineyard, he gets sought drunk, he curses his members of his family, and then the whole mess is all started over again. By chapter 11, we hit a, a, even a new low. By the time we get to chapter 11, that's where we come to the Bible story, which is where the selfish and evil desires of the world just seems to get the best of the world. We were actually, by that point, as humanity, organizing and uniting, plotting In rebellion against God to the point that God decides to mix up the languages just to force people to spread out on the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I would have been God in that moment, 
I'd have been like, you know what? Three strikes, you're out, people. You know, I'm tired of this. I have done everything I can possibly think of to get you to love me, and you just keep throwing it back in my face over and over again. I, honestly, I don't get it. Why? I mean, after the Adam and Eve thing, after the Noah thing, after Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, all these times when God is saying, please, please, and over and over again, we just say, no, God won't give up. So he has another idea. He doesn't stop there. Genesis 12, what does God do? God finds one person again on earth who is following him, who loves him. His name happens to be Abram. And he says, I'm not going to just kind of push the reset button with his family and and try again. That didn't work. What I'll do is I'll set him apart. And so God approaches Abram and says, Abram, I see that you love me. Would you be willing to have faith in me and trust me? Sure, God, whatever. Uh, Okay, well, then I want you to go to the land I will show you. Do this one thing to show me that you love me. And he does. And then God just blesses the socks off this guy, right? As we start reading Genesis, what we see is that God gives this guy, Abram, a new name, Abraham, which means father of many nations. And surely Abram's thinking, well, God, I don't have any kids. How's that work? God's like, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it all taken care of. And then he promises him as many descendants, more descendants than the stars in the sky. As he looks up at the heavens, Abram does. He says, I'll give you more descendants than even that. And not only that, I'll even give you a land, a promised land to live in. So that everybody around can see an example of what it means to love me and live differently. I I want to start over with you and with your family, Abram. I want you to be to set the tone for the rest of the world so that they can understand what it means to have a a love relationship with their creator. So God even goes so far as to make a covenant, a contract with with Abraham. And he says, if you promise to love me, I promise I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will love you unconditionally. And this is a contract or covenant that, that Abram gets into not only for himself, but for his future descendants that would be to come. And so God decides in that moment, you know what? I'm just going to focus in on this guy and his descendants for now. Maybe maybe I can create a people here who will love me here, even if the others reject me. Now, this plan works for a while, right? And then the wheels comes off this car. By the time we get to the end of Genesis, what we see is that even Abram's descendants have walked away. And we see in the beginning of Exodus, is the next book, as that story begins to, begins to unfold, we see that these chosen people are slaves to a foreign king in Egypt who calls himself Pharaoh and sees himself to be God. This Pharaoh, as the book of Exodus begins, is harsh and brutal, and his desire is to wipe out all these people of God because he sees himself to be God. And he even goes so far as to try to slaughter all the male babies of the entire nation of Israel. To just basically exterminate the whole race by wiping out all the male babies that are there. You think the Holocaust is a new thing? No. These Hebrew people must have thought, wow, whatever God had with Abraham, that's long gone, right? They must have thought, well, I guess God's thrown in the towel with us. He's washed his hands of all of us. But here's the thing. God still had not given up. 
God refused to give up on us. Once again, God's love takes over and he comes up with another plan. You know what happens next? You know what God does the next time? Well, you'll have to find out next week. It's to be continued. But in the meantime, what I want you to see from the beginning of this story, from the first book of this love story that God has given us in Scripture is this, that God's love for you is relentless. It does not stop. Each one of us in this room have had experiences where our love has been rejected. And it's been painful, hasn't it? And we want to set up boundaries around ourselves and pr- protect ourselves from being hurt to being rejected again. And God, as crazy as he is, he, his idea he will not let go of. He's like, I don't care if I'm rejected. I will keep showing them how much I love them. I will not let them go. God's crazy idea was to have a people who want to be in relationship with him. To receive his love so that he can give it in return. I'll close with this. In the book of Genesis, I'm sorry, in the book of Psalms, we see how well God not only knows us, but he dotes over us. How he is head over heels in love with us. In Psalm 139, uh, David writes this uh, about his relationship with God. And um, yeah, I believe it was David that wrote this. Listen to these words and notice how much God loves you and me. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and you, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Billions of people on this planet. He knows everything that you're doing, and he is that interested. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. And it says in verse 11, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. That's the kind of love God has for you. That's the kind of love God has for you and for me. It reminds us there is nowhere that we can go that God's not going to follow There is no pit that we can get in too deep that God can't dig us out and gladly do so. And though we shut him out, though we push him away, though we reject him, he will not stop chasing after you every day of your life. Have you ever considered that even the little amounts of love that you can muster for those in your life, even that has come from God to you? The scripture says that God is love. You don't even have the capacity to love except the love that God has given to you that you're able to give. That's how much God loves us. God actually is love. Yet, at that same time, God says, I will never force myself upon you. Not once. He will always choose. He will always wait for you to choose to love him in return. 
You know, uh, love can make us do some crazy things, can it? But our limited love never comes close to God's. How will you respond to that love in your life? Will you resist it? Will you fight it? Do your own thing? Will you complain about the things that you lack in this life, the, the frailties, the, the, the sicknesses that you have, the, the temptations that you have that God encourages you to not follow? Will you spend your days complaining to God about what you don't have or what you want? Or will you see that this whole thing is a humongous gift, a gift of love that God has done for you because he loves you that much? Will you reject it or will you receive it? God says, you know what? I'll do anything for you, but I'll leave you the choice up to you. I love you that much. Would you pray with me? God, as, as we start this story today, we see the whole picture, not just the picture from the Advent season. Lord, it makes us start to realize how seemingly irrational you are, that you could love us that much. The story of Genesis is a story of us rejecting you over and over and over and over. And you finding another idea, plan B, plan C, plan D, to reach out to us and to show love to us once more. God, it just doesn't make any sense. But we thank you that you love us that much. And we pray that through this life that we will come to experience more and more this love that you have for us so that we can show you that love in return and to show those in the world, as the great commandment calls us to, to love our neighbor the same way as you love us. Lord, help us in those moments when we put our defenses up. Help us when we want to just judge people and cast them away. Help us, Lord, when we do the same to you. God, we ask that you would forgive us of all of our sins, all those rejections that pile up in our lives, many of us every single day. Lord, turn our hearts toward you. Help us to soften our hearts and to understand the bigger picture. Help us to experience this holiday season, your love in a way we've never experienced before. Not just as mushy emotion, but a, a pursuit, a chasing after, as you've described in Scripture. Well, this morning, I, we are reminded of this beautiful love story as we take communion. And we recognize, we remember once again that you spared no expense for us. If you're here today and you've never said yes to God, if you've never told God you love him, if you've never been willing to surrender to God, I want to encourage you this morning while you're here to make that decision. Grab somebody, encourage you, maybe someone on the prayer team or myself, let us pray with you and let us help you to start that love story in your own life with the God who created you and loves you more than you'll ever understand. In Jesus' name.
Amen.